Hey everybody, welcome to the end of year podcast for 2017. We've got a lot to cover this year, so I'm not going to do my typical kind of housekeeping, uh, maintenance, kind of mentioning the reviews that I've done. I will mention though, just if you're interested in these games, uh, Tokyo Highway and Welcome to Centerville. I did reviews for those since our last podcast, and if you're interested in a kind of a very almost frustrating dexterity game check out my video review for Tokyo Highway and if you want a really kind of in-depth relatively complex uh, Yahtzee style dice game check out my video review for Welcome to Centerville I enjoyed both the games I'll definitely go take a look at those but like I said there's a lot to cover in this episode so I'm not get into any more depth on that the last little bit of housekeeping I'm going to mention is you're not going to see anything from me from the month of January so after you listen to this or watch this on YouTube I'm going to kind of go dormant for a little while. Uh, I don't want to get too belabored on it. It's not really a negative thing. I just need to catch up on some sleep, uh, take a little bit of a break, reboot, retool the channel, just kind of take a step back and uh, gather, you know, my senses and what I want to do. I still have fun doing this. I still look forward to doing this, you know, about once a week or so. And I've kind of talked about that a little bit uh, throughout the last several months on the podcast and the video channel, just in terms of like the conflict between kind of just being a gamer versus a reviewer and you know that whole kind of mix of things uh so i'm just going to kind of just force myself to not do anything for january and just kind of see what happens after that so i definitely will be back and uh you know doing probably just some random different things to kind of get warmed back up and that kind of thing but the review side of it is kind of the part where i have sort of a something in my teeth kind of to speak uh so anyway i just want to kind of give everyone a heads up on that and then now we're going to go ahead and jump into kind of my best games of 2017. And this is not gonna be a top 10 list because I sat down and tried to slice and dice it a number of different ways. I kind of had a top 10, then it would always bleed out into a top 12 and so on. And then there was you know a couple of games that I wanted to highlight, but I couldn't really feel comfortable putting them in a top 10 because you know maybe they're not like the best or most well-rounded thing, but I wanted to just make a special note of them. So what I'm gonna do is kind of walk through the year in chronological order and the first game in the list is kind of kind of make sense of why I'm doing it this way and just kind of walk through that and I think I'm going to get up to about 15 or 17 games uh, that I'm going to cover and these are all things that I think deserve special note special call out so I'm just going to kind of do it that way but the first thing I'm going to do is mention real quick uh, some honorable mentions that won't really slide into this list for a couple of different reasons and then at the very very end I'll have a top five games that I'm looking forward to coming out in 2018, kind of as my bonus little random segment. So let's jump right in. So the first honorable mention is gonna be Pandemic Legacy Season 2, and I'm currently in the midst of the campaign there. We're into August now at the time of this recording. Uh, great game so far. Some things I like more than Season 1, some things I like less. I will probably end up doing a spoiler-filled uh, review of it because I don't know, it feels like the best format, so you're gonna to want to avoid that eventually. That'll probably come out in February, because we do plan on finishing it up here in January, finally. Uh, but it's a good game. Uh, but it's kind of like a second edition kind of thing, which is sort of the theme with the rest of these honorable mentions. Uh, the next one I'll just kind of honorably mention would be Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, which, which I haven't actually had a chance to play yet, but we have a game scheduled in January to play, hopefully. Uh, I played 3rd Edition, I'm sort of mixed feelings about that, but uh, having actually talked to some people about the changes, I feel like they might address those, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the next honorable mention would be Warhammer 40,000 8th Edition, and I'm trying to 
keep that out of this because it I do we'll have some games with miniatures in them but that's definitely not a board game it's a full-blown you know massive probably the most miniature of miniature games but I've had a lot of fun playing that this year I played in the tournament played some other handful of pickup games and uh, really have enjoyed it and definitely uh, recommend folks give that as well as Age of Sigmar a, a look They're, they have a, a very easy way for you to kind of baby step into it so you don't have to spend too much money and then if you don't like it you can kind of get out of it but I definitely recommend that and the last honorable mention would be London second edition which for sure is something I think worth considering it is significantly different than the first edition of London uh, but I kind of felt weird putting it on my kind of main list because it is still relatively at its core uh, a game that came out you know, in 2010 but the improvements they've made have certainly made the game a lot better and London was originally in my top 20 I guess out of my top 100 and this would probably push it up even further uh, up that list if I were to ever break that down again so those are just some honorable mentions of things to look at and we're going to jump into here the first one again in chronological order at least that I played them it's roughly going to be the order that they were released as well and this is kind of the cream of the crop list and the first game on the list is Gloomhaven and frankly that would probably be my number one on the list but I have not played a single game of this since I think April or May uh, fantastic game everybody knows about this game usually I mean I guess I could say something sort of glib like you must be living under a rock but you could also be very new to the hobby and listening to this and not have heard of it uh, this is a fantastic game. It's like kind of the massively multiplayer online role-playing game that is a board game. That's basically what it is. It's huge. It's gigantic. And it has a problem, though, because it is going to eat up all of your gaming time if you choose to delve into it and play it. It's fantastic. It's great. The mechanics are great. The sort of story elements and everything, the uh, sort of unwrapping of the area in the town of Gloomhaven and all the different villains and things that you're going to encounter is awesome. Everything is just a work of genius, honestly, and the way it's put together. But given my sort of lifestyle choice of reviewing new games that come out and also getting into miniature games more this year, it's just not hit the table because I've just not made it a priority. It's really zero reflection on the game. And, uh, and this is, this is, one of the reasons I'll talk about some more why I didn't want to do a top 10 because it's just such a giant wedge into sort of the kind of the general gaming flow of the year it's just it's such like a just a, a wrench in the whole works of things so it's just a very interesting kind of anchor that's just held itself over my head and I think over a lot of people's head uh this year but I definitely think this is the number one game of the year just for the sheer audacious innovation everything so that's Gloomhaven, enough about that. Everybody's talked a lot about that this year. The next on the list here moving along is Warhammer Quest Shadows over Hammerhall. Now this is one that I sort of am loosey-goosey about putting in a top 10, but I still want to mention it. Now I still prefer Silver Tower, which came out a year ago, over this one. So this is kind of the follow-up to Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. Now this one you can't play cooperatively. You need a game master to kind of engineer and run everything. But this does a lot of interesting, cool things above and beyond other games of this style, like Descent or Imperial Assault. It's a little bit more of a role-playing flavor. You get a little bit more flexibility, especially if you venture out and get some of more of the exotic adversaries. You can get other uh, models and things like that for. So it gives you a little bit more choice and flexibility if you invest a little bit into it. Uh, and it has some interesting uh, takes on it. I think the one big takeaway for me 
is it's not like distinct scenarios. Now there's different kind of levels of this dungeon that you're going to go in and adventure with heroes and, and, and delve down into. But it's not like scenario one, scenario two. You can kind of push farther down the dungeon and then kind of go back up and go back to town. And then you can kind of push and go down left or right. And it's it's one sprawling map. And that's really a fun approach. It kind of lends itself to more of an exploratory type of atmosphere uh, where it's not just kind of really chunked up and, you know, these different sections and things. Uh, that's a really cool aspect. And they started to come out with kind of supplemental quests and things like that to add to it. Uh, there's just a lot of more flexible uh, narrative involved. And that's, I think that's worth noting. I think uh, folks should kind of take note of that. Really cool. So the next, that's the Warhammer Quest, Shatters Over Hammerhall. And next one is Ethnos. And this is one that's continued to come out throughout the course of the year. It's a very sort of uh, gateway almost to family style game. Uh, it's sort of a small world smashed up with Ticket to Ride, although not quite either of those things. But it's a very easy to get into game. There's a lot of replayability. You can shuffle up the different uh, races that are available in each game. That's going to change up kind of the wind conditions and the different mechanics that you can do. But it's definitely one that's still sitting on my shelf after most of the year has gone by. And it's one that I brought out a couple of times uh, at game night and it's gotten played and people have enjoyed it. Uh, it's a very you know, kind of easy to get into game, but there is a lot to kind of chew on in terms of strategy and stuff that you're going after so that's ethnos uh, definitely recommend that game especially if you're got sort of people that don't want a real heavy game uh, but want a lot of replayability and fun basically uh, and that's ethnos so the next game on the list is going to be the walking dead all-out war and i think technically on board game geek this is a 2016 release but it really didn't start hitting streets until 2017 and that's one of my sort of pet peeves with these kind of lists sometimes is it'll say, oh, well, that game wasn't published in 2017. It was published in 2016. And I would say, no, Board Game Geek, you're wrong. <laughs> it actually wasn't. Or there was only 50 copies of the game available to random people at the very, 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 very tail end of 2016. And what if you lived in Guam? <laughs> then you may not see it till 2018 or something like that. So a published date uh, is not always a single date. It could be multiple dates for based on where you're at in life and everything. But Walking Dead All at War is basically a miniatures game, although you get everything you need in the single box. You get a little playing mat, you get some terrain, and you're playing through The Walking Dead. Now, I would say you want to get the Days Gone By uh, expansion pack. In my mind, you don't. You can get the base game, but you're quickly going to want to get something else, and I would definitely get the Days Gone By expansion pack. This is going to allow you to have some more scenarios, uh, some more different characters and things, and then also unlock a little bit more of like the campaign style thing to kind of, you know, add some more narrative to your games. And it really fleshes out the cooperative aspect of it, which is really cool because you do not see, I think almost ever, I'm trying to think, I know there's another miniature game that you can do co-op, but this one really excels at the co-op. And that's neat because, you know, most miniature games are head to head, two players usually going at it, trying to kill each other, control objectives and all that. But this is can be played co-op, which is really neat. It's a really fun way to play kind of with kids and stuff. Is you, you're working together, you can kind of help them with the measurements and all that, and kind of get used to the miniature world. And it's Walking Dead, so you know, you're killing zombies and stuff, that's no big deal. Uh, so that's a really cool feature that they've added to this game. And of course, you can also play it head-to-head. -head. And even if you're playing it head-to-head, -head, the zombies are still gonna come, they're gonna get in the way. So you've got sort of that extra dynamic flair to 
uh, the table. You know, you're not just like shooting and taking cover. And because sometimes in uh, miniature games, or skirmish games, they can get a little bit static where you're kind of just taking pot shots at each other. But kind of the added flair of the zombies being attracted to noise and all that really uh, spices up the game. So this is definitely one that I would highly recommend uh, anybody. You know, even if you're like new to miniatures games, uh, you can get this. You don't have to assemble these miniatures. The, the sculpts are really good, and you can play it co-op again if you get that extra expansion. Uh, so it's a nice kind of uh, something you can kind of dip your feet in in terms of miniatures, and the price point is, is, is very, very, very reasonable. So that's the Walking Dead All Out War game. Uh, the next one on the list is Yokohama, and this is brought over to the U.S. by Tasty Minstrel. Uh, it's also originally published by Okazu Brand. And to me, I think this might be kind of my standout Euro. Now, I'll make a caveat here. At the very end of the list, I'm going to mention a handful of uh, euro e games, at least now two or sort of three, because a lot of the Essen games are just hitting like now, like Gaia Project just arrived. You know, and I don't have a chance to play that. It's, I'm recording this over kind of Christmas break. So a lot of these Essen release games that, you know, again, BGG has as a 2017 release, well, most of us folks here in the U.S. aren't going to see them until June of 2018. Anyway, I just want to kind of caveat that because I know there's definitely a decent amount of the Essen games I haven't played or maybe only played once or something. Uh, but Yokohama, I think, is a fantastic, innovative, very different style Euro that has definitely mechanics that are familiar, but it does it in such a way that it feels very, very fresh. It's gonna have a lot of replayability. It's got kind of a, a strange kind of worker placement, worker movement kind of idea where you build up this trail of actions uh, and little action cubes that you can then activate your main agent and he'll move to a different tile that's all kind of randomly uh, range. And then you're going in and just kind of converting and, and building buildings and, and getting points and all that kind of good stuff. And this, just the way that the mechanics sort of engage my brain, you can really sort of almost visually plan out, you know, what your turns are going to be. So you can kind of set up again, those big combo-y turns, but you can actually visualize it on the board. And it's almost like you're drawing a little blueprint for your actions. Because a lot of times you're trying to plan in your head and you have to kind of keep it in your head. You don't get the actual visual representation of what your plans are for the next couple of turns. And this game has that. We're actually, it's happening on the board as you are planning and, and putting these cubes out and sort of building up these steps for the next turn or for the next several turns. And that's a really kind of neat feature. Uh, anyway, so that's Yokohama. And the next game is The Godfather Corleone's Empire. This is published this year by Simon. And this is a game that we featured on Tabletop Showcase, the first of hopefully many. And this is a game that has continued to come out. I played this with several different groups of people, played it with the family, played it with the game group, played it outside at conventions and things. And across the board, people have really liked it. A heavier gamers have liked it. Uh, you know, families liked it and more casual, not so heavy gamers have liked it as well. Really interesting. Uh, the innovations here are actually relatively subtle. There's like just some real smart, uh, sublime almost design decisions that have been made. Uh, it's an area control game. You've got some different kind of uh, sort of target jobs that you're filling based on the actions and the worker placement stuff that you do on the table. It's got sort of a conflicting, you know, you put a guy out to do worker placement, but that's also going to affect area control at the same time on the board, which represents New York City. And so it has a real cool, uh, interesting mechanics there. 
And it's again, it's one that has continued to come out and people have really enjoyed. I know some people had a problem with the price initially, the MSRP, but we've seen that, of course, drop based on market supply and demand. And so I've seen it. You can pick this up for 40 to 50 bucks, you know, over the $80 MSRP. And so that's certainly something that uh, I think is going to be more attractive to folks. And I would definitely uh, give this one a shot. And, uh, and maybe give this one two plays because I remember when I first played, I was like, Hmm, what's weird about this? And then we kind of just, you kind of get the gist of it, even though the mechanics are really simple, you kind of get the gist of the strategy and sort of the arc of the game, like how, and when things are going to be important and when things you thought might've been important actually aren't and stuff like that, uh, over the course of at least one play, definitely into a second play. So that is the Godfather Corleone's empire. And the next game is Werewords. And this is another one that I would push high, high up my list. I think as I was organizing these in sort of a pseudo top 10, this was in the top two or three uh, right under Gloomhaven. Now, Werewords is basically 20 questions, or if you're familiar with The Insider, uh, combined with One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I think this one has replaced One Night Ultimate Werewolf for myself, for sure, and definitely for the group. Uh, it's kind of like One Night Ultimate Werewolf with stuff to do. So instead of just closing your eyes, shuffling roll cards around, messing with stuff, and then sort of doing your deduction based off of that, you have this whole 20 question thing where you are sort of trying to solve this clue that the mayor in this case knows and the werewolf maybe knows. And then based on who's asking what questions or not asking questions, you're trying to solve or not solve the word, you know, maybe you're the werewolf and don't want to solve it. You know, then you're, you're deriving your social deduction side out of that and people's behavior. And I find that very, very cool because it's like, instead of just purely social deduction, you're kind of doing sort of an everyday activity. You're doing sort of your day job in terms of trying to solve the word. But then at the same time, you're keeping a BDI on all of the other players. So if you think about it in, the, in, a, in a sort of an abstract sense, you're kind of playing code names away uh, and trying to do kind of like a little spy game, trying to guess this you know special keyword to unlock whatever. And then at the same time, you're keeping an eye on behavior and an interaction of that sort of routine that's going to happen. I find that a lot more interesting than just purely like, oh, this happened. You must have moved this here. I'm the seer. I saw this. And sort of that's sort of a weird sort of high level abstraction. I still like one I ultimate more with, obviously, but this gives you kind of something to do and grounds that environment in something solid. So that's really, really cool. So that's where words, which I also will say is definitely an improvement over insider. We've played insider and liked insider, but this also kind of fixes some of the weird issues you can get uh, when insider does flop and it doesn't always flop, but sometimes it does. Uh, so the next game here is Century Spice Road, and I'm going to kind of combine this one with Azul. Now, these are both by the same publisher, Plan B Games, and actually posted a poll on Twitter uh, asking people which one they liked more. And it was resoundingly Azul, which I found interesting. Now, Azul's kind of at this time sort of the new hot game. Azul's great. It's got a cool abstract uh, style to it that's a little bit different than most purely abstract games and it actually works very well with three and four players as well as two players which most abstract games are a two-player game but the spatial element in azul is not as heavy-handed so i think a lot of people are really enamored with azul and i certainly am 
and I'd act frankly kind of forgotten about Century Spice Road. But recently at lunchtime at work, Century Spice Road has kind of come out, and we played this basically right after Azul. There was about a week we were playing other games, and then we're like, hey, let's try Century again. And really, it was been great to kind of revisit that game and kind of really see the depth of what you can do and how you can kind of like get the right cards and really pound them for their actions and the way you kind of draft the cards as they come up because that's something in Century that you don't really get into too much until you've played it a couple of times and you start to realize okay I can kind of chain these cards together better and then make one or two of the cards that I've drafted these big heavy hitters that I can you know play for multiple actions on the trade action and so for my mind and this is why I posted the poll on Twitter I was like, man, I can't figure out which one of these I like better. <laughs> because now that I'm playing Century again, I'm like, this is better than I thought it was, and I already liked it. Uh, so that's interesting. I think they've had two really great games here, Century and Azul. And I really recommend uh, either of them. And these are, the cool thing about these games is they're so dead simple that you can teach them in like 60 seconds. But there's a lot there underneath the covers that you can play them again and again and again. And I would be somewhat surprised if... One or both of these was not nominated for the Spiel des Jahres. I don't know where they fall in terms of being released in Germany and the year of the release date and all that, but I, in my head, I think Azul could probably win it. Uh, but I think Century, Century might have been already on the cusp for last year. I don't frankly remember. Um, but yeah, both of these I highly recommend. Really solid, I think, games that will show themselves to be kind of classics. I think people will be playing Century and Azul you know, five, ten years uh, down the road. So that's Century and Azul. And next we have Downforce. And this is from Restoration Games. Now this is a little bit of a reprint of uh, Daytona 500, I think, and as well as some other different versions of it. This one has really come out nice. Now, not everybody has liked this game that I've played it with. And it's actually been a mix between uh, family and the gamer group. Some of the gamers liked it, some of the families liked it, and some have not liked it from either group. For my money, this is the best game that Restorations has released so far. I think they've released three games. I know they have Fireball Island coming out maybe next year or 2019. I'm not sure when that will actually hit. But this is a very fun game. Frankly, it replaced Camel Up for me. And Camel Up is a, is a betting game slash racing game. And that's what Downforce is. It's you're going to auction off for a car, but then you have cards that are gonna you're going to play over the course of your turns to control all the cars on the board. And then there's going to be different points where you can make bets on the cars that you think are going to win. So you don't have to necessarily bet on the car or cars that you own, quote unquote, but you can kind of shift and mitigate your losses if you're not doing so great to make bets on the other cars. And then you can, the way you play these cards is to sort of play it in such a way that you bottleneck the other players and so on. A uh, really simple game, but very fun and just, you know, quick to play and exciting. And the, you know, the whole arc and course of the game is going to change up because you've got the little betting stages and all that stuff. Uh, just a really, really fun game with these cool little racing cars. Uh, there are nice little components and stuff. And so this is kind of like in the same vein as some of those old, uh, Knizia horse betting games and stuff like that. But this is, this has definitely been the favorite one uh, that I've played. And like I said, it replaced, uh, camel up for me. So I think everybody needs a good kind of betting, gambling sort of feeling game uh, because you're going to attract uh, different types of players that get into that aspect of gaming. Uh, so that's Downforce. And the next game is another Euro. This came out a little bit earlier, I think around Gen Con time. 
and that's Whistle Stop. This is from Bezier Games. Uh, this is a game that almost plays out like a multi-use card game, but you're using tiles on a board to navigate your trains to get to different locations and score points and make deliveries and all that kind of stuff. And just a very, very unique game in that sense. Because the way that you play the tiles on the board uh, can be done in such a way that it actually helps other players as well. So you're all kind of playing collectively on this board, trying to set up little kind of route combos. Because you have multiple trains that you can steer, you can set them up in such a way that you block others from coming into your little area, and then you can do activations and move the train and, and collect cubes and drop cubes off and get points and collect stock and then kind of try to shoot over to the western uh, side of the board and then drop off and get extra bonuses and, and score end game points and stuff like that. Uh, this is a very kind of different style game with a, kind of a lot going on up front, but then it's just, it just has a lot of variability in terms of kind of smartly playing out your track tiles and interacting with some of the different combos and special uh, bonus gear cards that you can get that allow you to kind of break the rules and stuff. Uh, this is just a very unique, different game uh, that have had a lot of time, a lot of fun uh, bringing out uh, throughout the course of the, the last half of the year. Uh, so I definitely recommend it to folks and give this one a couple of plays too, because you're going to see that one game is going to play out uh, definitely differently to the next game, and especially as people become aware of you know, being more interactive with their opponents and blocking off routes and trying to create routes that can't be blocked off and stuff like that. So that's Whistle Stop. The next game on the list is Rumble Slam. And I bring this up and I hope people do try this game. Right now you can only get this game direct from the publisher, although there are plans to bring it over in more of a distribution manner to get it in your local game stores. But you can get this from ttcombat.com. And this is a fantasy wrestling game, kind of like WWF or WCW, whatever you watched when you were a kid or may still watch. And it's fantasy wrestlers that have sort of a giant tag team, but they're all in the ring at the same time. So you have like a team of five wrestlers all kind of running around and doing different actions and stuff. Now, the tactics and everything in the gameplay are awesome. So good. I mean, you have different size wrestlers. Some that are just big heavy hitters, but they're slow. Lots, lots of other wrestlers like to, you know, fly off the turnbuckle or fly off the ropes and then jump off the turnbuckle and do cool different special abilities. You've got different effects that will like get the crowd into it, and just all kinds of things going on. And they have a nice uh, line of miniatures. The miniatures are great quality. They're like a resin, but they're like a nice resin, like a nice sturdy thick resin. And there's very little assembly involved. I think I had to glue like three little pieces on and they were just, you know, one was like a giant arm and just plugged into a socket. Um, and so it's just got a lot going for it. And I feel like it's going to be overlooked just because the publisher's so small, you can just get it from them. But you, there's a lot that you can get into this game. And if you want to get like an extra team of miniatures, it's like 35 bucks, you know, and you have a whole other team and you can get like special characters and it's reasonably priced and you can paint it if you want if you're not into painting i mean i'd still get it if the gameplay sounds interesting to you uh, but i highly recommend uh rumble slam i did like a playthrough slash review of it so you can check that out to get more info on it uh, but i definitely definitely wanted to you know make mention of that because that's definitely flying under the radar 
Uh, the next game here is another miniatures game. This is Warhammer Underworld Shadespire. This is definitely not flying under the radar. This has sort of taken over my local game store. I think the people that were playing Age of Sigmar mostly play this, not instead of, but it almost seems like it because they've all been playing it quite a bit. Uh, it's a very competitive, uh, oriented, sort of skirmish miniatures game. You have a very small war band of characters, and you, there's like four factions you could get now. And the warband itself is going to stay the same, but you actually do like a deck building aspect, kind of like Magic of the Gathering, where you build up your decks before the game, and that's going to dictate the combos and the way that you score points in the game when you play it. Uh, really an interesting, innovative uh, game. This is definitely towards the middle top of my list for game of the year as I was making the top 10, just because the uh, nature of it is so different than any other kind of game I've played. It really doesn't play out like a miniature game. Uh, I mean, when you look at like Age of Sigmar or Rumble Slam or Frostgrave or, you know, something along those lines, it plays out more like a, kind of a hero clicks or kind of like Mage, Magic the Gathering Planeswalkers, that style game. A little bit like X-Wing because you've got some of the deck building aspects, which is sort of like, you know, building in the pilots and the droids in X-Wing. So it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, definitely one that I would recommend. Uh, these are miniatures that you have to assemble, but again, you don't actually have to glue these. You can just clip them out and they all kind of just press in together and you probably never have to glue them again. You may have an arm that slides out, but I mean, you could just pop it back in, no big deal. Uh, I mean, I, of course I glued and painted mine. Um, you know, and this could be a fun little project, you know, this and Rumble Slam. If you wanted to get into Shadespire, you could get that and you're like, I've never painted. Well, get that. It's a reasonably priced game and then just paint them up. Who cares what they look like? And so that could be a fun little thing. The gameplay is definitely going to reward you. And I should say, you don't even have to paint it because the miniatures are color coded. It's like the Stormcast are blue and the corn are red and so on. Um, and there's a couple expansions that have come out that play very differently. Uh, the gameplay seems to be pretty balanced. They had a huge tournament with like 80 or 90 players. And I think the top four factions was one of each of the factions <laughs> or something like that. It was pretty close. They were all kind of in contention. So a lot of the strategy and things are going to come down to the deck building in that case. But that is Warhammer Underworld's Shadespire. Definitely take a look. Uh, the next game or series of games is going to be the Unlock series. And this is the one that was kind of competing up there with Werewords in terms of the next game behind Gloomhaven. I've had a chance to play a couple of these now. Uh, there's three more that have come out. I think there's six total. Uh, if you haven't heard of this, it's a escape room type of thing where you have a deck of cards and that's what you buy. You get like a deck of these cards that are rooms and clues and gadgets and things. Those are about 15 bucks or so. And then you have an app that will help guide you through them and it works fantastically. And the cool thing is once you're done with it, you can box up and hand it off to your friend and then they can play it. Uh, so that's something that we've done, you know, with my game group. Oh, you did this one? Well, here, take this one for me and I'll take the one from you and I'll play that one and then we can hand it off to somebody else. And it's really cool. I think this is my favorite uh, escape room series. I played all of them except for the exit series, which some people tell me I don't need to bother with and other people need to tell me that that's their favorite uh escape room style game but this one is definitely good uh it has a lot of atmosphere to it uh, i like how the cards come out and they show you sort of the environment you have to actually sort of look in and peek the clues and and kind of look at the visual representation of the space that you would be in so it kind of reminds me the most 
of being in an actual escape room and also the way that the app kind of handles giving out hints and clues and if you get stuck you can kind of go after it so that kind of also reminds me mostly of being in an escape room just in terms of how that process actually you know unfolds uh you know in that case so that that's another kind of bonus for it and the other thing i like about it is if you don't solve it by the allotted hour you can still keep going like that's the one thing i don't really care for about escape rooms is I can think of one instance where we were entering the, this is a real escape room I'm talking about. We were entering the actual code because a lot of the escape rooms, you have to enter a code to the final door and you open the door and you're out. Well, we were at that stage and then, you know, the time ran out. We just barely didn't make it. It was like, if we had two more minutes, we would have got the thing that the guy came in and said we didn't get and we would have got it. And it was like, oh. Okay, I mean, I guess, I mean, could you have just let us go for another five minutes? We, we know, we still doesn't count that we won, but I don't care. I mean, at that point, I'm like, okay, we lost. Now, I still want the part of my brain to engage and figure out the puzzle. Like, that's bothering me. And so this lets you do that. You go, okay, we didn't make it, but let's keep going. And we're like, okay, well, we got it. And that actually happened in one of these cases. Um, one of the ones we did, it was kind of the reverse situation. We, we lost and we didn't get it done in an hour, but two minutes later we got it like, okay, cool. Well, we were that close and that, now we know that we didn't win, but we at least know the answer and we know what we needed to do to get there. So I really like that aspect of it. And that really kind of brings it home for me uh, with the unlock series. Now the next game, we got three more here in terms of my sort of cream of the crop list. Uh, these next three are going to be kind of recent ones that I've just recently reviewed. Uh, if you use the deduction, you can tell that they aren't the two that I talked about at the beginning. Uh, welcome to Centerville and Tokyo Highway. <laughs> so if you want to pause and guess, go for it. But the next one is the Expanse board game. I've had a chance to play this several times now at uh, different player counts. And uh, this is kind of plays out like Tammany Hall in space. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tammany Hall, it's an older game. It's kind of an area control, stab your neighbor in the back game. And this doesn't seem like that on the surface, but once you play it and you play it with people that have played it a few times, then it starts to become that. And I really enjoy uh, that style of game. Now, the marriage to the theme of the Expanse TV show, which is what this is based on, is sort of tenuous, but it actually has a lot of little nooks and crannies and details that if you watch the show, you'd be like, oh, I can kind of see how this faction would get that mechanic and start with the resources here and do that. So they all make sense within the context of the show. But it has, at its core, and the reason that I like it so much, it's kind of a multiplayer Twilight Struggle slash coin series, which are both GMT games, uh, where you have cards that are going to give you action points and cards that are going to give you events. And if you choose the action points, the event on that card might trigger for another player but you can also pay points victory points to actually keep a card in front of you and play that event later on when it'll be more advantageous to you and that's a really cool innovation on this style of game and the other thing that's kind of innovative about it is there is a row of cards that you can then choose from and if you kind of go down the row when you want to get access to, you know, a nice juicy card, you got to pay some points there to get to it. And you got to see how worth it is to you. And it has this cool little trick with the scoring cards that have come up. Sometimes you have to pay points for the scoring card. But if you let it come too far down and let somebody else have it, they're going to choose the scoring card. And when you choose the scoring card, you can then pick an area 
that doubles scoring or does more than that. Sometimes you can just beef up the scoring in that area. And then as you choose the different areas to score bonuses, those will kind of dwindle and you won't be able to do it there. So people are going to shift focus on this different area control thing that's happening into different areas that haven't been scored uh, with bonuses yet. So just the way that whole little thing plays together is just great. Um, so this is definitely one uh, that I recommend folks try and, and get access to. And if you are a fan of The Expanse, it's definitely a TV show. I think you'll get a good kick out of this as well. So that was The Expanse board game. And the next one here is Heaven and Ale. So that's ale like the beer, not heaven and hell. Uh, but what the theme of this is, is you have sort of monks and farms and you're trying to create a sort of a brewery factory in the Middle Ages and get these up and score victory points and, you know, score money and stuff along the way to kind of build your engine. This is a very interesting, different style of game. And another one that's up there with Yokohama and stuff and Whistle Stop is one of my favorite Euros to play this year. Uh, it has some really just different things that are going on. The way that you score points is just so different. You, you don't really even score any points in the game at all. You build up kind of these different production values in these different resources, and you're trying to sort of build them up equally and move your brewmaster up this track, which gives you sort of a expertise in brewing. Uh, in the meantime, though, you're sort of building out naturally and organically and visually your farms and, and your sheds and your different production areas and trying to sort of use those and activate those to kind of supplement you for income and, and as you do all this other stuff. And then it kind of right at the end, you see, okay, how good of a brewery did I make? Um, it's really very mechanic heavy. I would definitely say go watch my review of it. But it does a lot of really cool, smart things mechanically. It has a lot of variability and replayability, I think. And it has a lot of uh, sort of deviousness to it because I've seen scores all over the map with this game. Uh, so definitely uh, give this one a close look at it. Uh, and the theme of it actually really comes through. You, the first time I played, I was like, where is the theme? This is one of those simple, dry Euros that you know really is just a bunch of mechanics. And it is... But the theme is very subtle, and it's definitely more of atmosphere than theme, but it really comes through uh, once you get a game or two under your belt. So that is Heaven and Ale. And the last game on the list here is a recent review. Uh, this is A Hunt for the Ring, which I must confess I have not played part two of so far. And you kind of sort of need to, based on some feedback of my review. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could get away with playing part one with some caveats that you want to bump up difficulty and so on uh, for that initial intro. Uh, but this is a really innovative take on the uh, hidden movement deduction style of game like Fury of Dracula or Scotland Yard and so on. They'll give me a couple of takeaways with this one. I just reviewed it so you can go watch the review. But the main takeaway for me is that once the players, let's say, catch Frodo. And what this is, is uh, Frodo and the hobbits are trying to get the ring from uh, Hobbiton to Bree and then to Rivendell, and the Nazgul players are trying to catch him. But if the Nazgul players catch Frodo, then Frodo does not just lose the game, he spends some corruption points 
and then gets to escape and then move on. So you're trying to just, you know, get Frodo to spend corruption. There's other things in the game that will add to corruption, but it doesn't end the game in a very abrupt way. So you can, the game should play out uh, relatively, you know, the same amount over the course of, uh, you know, multiple plays. Uh, and then there's a couple other different things too. A lot of the mechanics and things that it does with the dice driven actions of the Nazgul, they've really got to manage that. And it's a definite resource management kind of attitude that's happening there. And there's a lot of card management and things like that. So there's a lot more kind of happening in terms of what you're doing and how it's kind of complementing the hidden movement side of the game. Uh, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. And I, I just did a review of it. So my thoughts are kind of repetitive in my head about it. Uh, but definitely take a look at that review and get a sense of how it plays. Uh, I think f- probably this has replaced Fury of Dracula for me. Um, you know, even just playing part one and everybody at the table that I've talked to and some other people I've played it with outside of my game group were like, huh, wow, this is, I like this better than Fury of Dracula already. So yeah, anyway, I, I haven't re- kicked either of them out of the collection yet. So they're both in on the shelf as I'm looking at them right now. Uh, but this is definitely a high quality uh, hidden movement game. So that's the kind of the games I definitely want to feature. There are five games that I plan on playing really soon that I feel like could make this list based on what I know. And so just to kind of tell you, if you ask me, what about this game? Well, here's five that definitely what about them? Because I'm interested to play these and have mm, all of them except one and uh, definitely are going to get the other one and play it. I'll just go through it. Uh, Gaia Project, basically Terra Mystica in space. Got that ready to play it. I mean, just got it. And it just, just hitting the, the shelves in the stores now. So there's no way I could play it and add it to the list, you know, because it's not really out. Uh, next one, Legacy of Dragonholt. This is the one I don't have. Uh, this looks like a giant choose-your-own-adventure, role-playing, extravaganza, uh, co-op kind of thing. Looks amazing. And I should have picked this one up earlier, but I didn't. Uh, next one is Spirit Island, which I've had. I uh, just haven't had a chance to get it played. I feel like this one is a very innovative take on a co-op. It's sort of like Settlers of Catan in reverse, but you're playing a co-op. You're like playing as the island trying to drive back the settlers. looks really cool. Uh, Time of Crisis, which I just got as well. Uh, this is one that's just been buzzing around and is sort of in that war game vein that I've sort of neglected this year. This one looks really cool. I've actually read the rules to it. Uh, looks very dynamic, almost like a Game of Thrones diplomacy aspect with some cool sort of deck building. I don't know. It looks real funky. looks good. And then the new Necromunda, which I haven't had a chance to get into because I've been sucked back into 40K and Age of Sigmar as far as the uh, miniature stuff is going. Uh, but I really want to get after Necromunda. I really enjoyed Shadow War. I've watched a lot of uh, battle reports of the new Necromunda and just from reading the rules, I feel like this is an improved version of you know, the original Necromunda and Shadow War and stuff. Uh, so I think that could be one that I enjoy a lot. Um, and so that's kind of just the general stuff that I think I missed. Uh, moving into my kind of bonus random was in my top five of 2018. And these aren't really in order because I don't really know if they're good. These are just the ones that I'm anticipating. Um, I guess I'll just name them here. Uh, Brass. There's two versions of Brass, Brass Lancashire and Brass something or other. Uh, it looks really cool. I'm glad they've reinvested in this system and started to expand on it because uh, that was the one thing I liked about Age of Industry over Brass is I could play it on multiple different maps and it wasn't stuck with the, kind of the same sort of static 
nature of the map. Uh, so this, I'm glad that somebody has sort of acquired the license and, and uh, you know, hopefully there'll be ways to kind of enhance it and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's a system that I've really enjoyed through Brass, through Age of Industry, which is a slightly tweaked version of Brass. Um, so that'll be pretty cool. Uh, next one is Time of Legends Joan of Arc. This looks insane. And I would have uh, backed the Kickstarter, but the dollar amount got out of hand. <laughs> so I'm hoping they just have like a, uh, you know, typical, like just regular edition that comes out and I can pick it up for a little cheaper than kind of the MSRP value. Uh, looks like a really kind of epic uh, 15 millimeter scale miniature slash board game, you know, has some kind of fantasy civilization types of attitudes going on. Uh, looks really, really neat. Uh, definitely uh, Google that one and look it up on Board Game Geek. Uh, it looks really interesting and very different. Although I read the rules to it, and it seemed a little simplistic. And that was one of the things that made me shy off backing it. It didn't seem bad. I was like, oh, that seems good. But it also seemed a little bit like, oh, I've seen this before. But I'm still looking forward to it a lot. And I think I'll have fun with it. Uh, next one is Rising Sun, which I should be receiving here pretty soon. Uh, speaking of backing things, <laughs> uh, this is Eric Lang design. It looks like more of a Game of Thrones diplomacy style game than like Blood Rager or Godfather, uh, which are two games that I've kept. Uh, so this is probably the most up my alley uh, out of these style of area control games. I love like Game of Thrones and a lot of mechanics and stuff from reading the rules several months ago really reminded me of the Game of Thrones board game. Uh, kind of like a 2.0 of that, so to speak. But that's just, you know, glancing through the rules. Really excited about that one. Next one is Detective, a modern crime board game. This is from Portal Games. And this is, oh gosh, how do I explain this? You get, it's almost like Sherlock Holmes consulting detective-ish, sort of. But you get to use your phone to go and Google things that are sort of a common knowledge thing. So I'm just making this up the top of my head. But if you needed to know like about the engine in the 1984 Toyota Corolla or some feature like that, some kind of random factoid that would help you solve a case. I'm like, that sounds really, really neat because kind of the world is your oyster in that way. And theoretically, this is me just kind of postulating and guessing in the future of the game, or maybe even in the game, you can almost build it like an ARG, which is an alternate reality game. So maybe there's a website that you go to that seems like a real website, but it has clues to uh, solving this mystery. Or you can have like a fake Facebook account. You go and look up this face. Now Facebook probably has rules against this, but you could have a fake Facebook account, or you could have a Facebook page that looks like a Facebook account, right? You could, you know, you could make it as a marketing brand page, but it looks like a personal page that would then you have to kind of go through it and look at like you know whatever clues to uh, help you solve whatever the crimes are. It just sounds super fascinating to me. So that's Detective, a modern crime board game. And the last one is Apocalypse Road, and this is coming from GMT Games. This is based on a racing game that they came out with a couple of years ago called Thunder Alley, where it was a car-driven racing game. You had like a team of cars, you played cards to kind of drive them and stuff and drift and, or not drift, but draft the other cars and all that. So this is gonna use a similar car-driven system. It's a great game. And but it's also going to be basically like playing Twisted Metal or Mad Max. You're going to have guns in the cars and be able to shoot at the other cars and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> this is what I wanted. I want Thunder Alley 
to do this. And frankly, I would like them to make an expansion to automobiles from AEG that had the same thing, but I think they won't. <laughs> anyway, so those are the kind of the top five I'm looking forward to in 2018, which is always rough because none of the Essen games are announced until like June at the earliest. Uh, so there's a whole like thousand games that uh, I may not even know that exist yet. Uh, so that is kind of my general overview of 2017, a little bit of a whirlwind there. Um, you know, these top 10 lists and lists like this are so odd because they're so temporary and fleeting and worthless in some ways. Uh, the order of them to me is completely worthless. That's the one thing I just, you got to order them. I mean, you got to just kind of order them, but it just leaves a sour feeling in my stomach saying that this is my favorite game. And man, I wish I could sit there and maybe talk to a psychiatrist about this because I could probably get my feelings out more. But like even saying like Kalos is my favorite game of all time, which it is, if you forced me to answer that, I would say yes. But man, it just so depends on mood and people I'm playing with and so many different things. Uh, gosh. And, you know, if I've played Kalos three times in a row, I don't want to play it again. I want to play something else. So at that instant, Kalos is not my favorite game because <laughs> I don't want to play it. Um, and just these lists, is, I don't know. I love the listing of it, though. I like the list uh, in terms of when I was kind of getting new into the hobby and getting to a point where I was researching games and looking at them. Lists were great because then I could say, okay, so Tom Vassell loves this game. He put it number 68 on his list. He described it for about two minutes. Sounds interesting. Add it to my list of research. Da -da -da, all the way up and down. And everybody doing that is great. You know, I go find geek lists of people doing that that aren't necessarily a media personality, you know? And those are great. The lists themselves are great. The order of the list, bleh. I can care less about the order. Just give me a list, 50 games, 10 games, 100 games. I will go research myself and then find out what sounds interesting to me. Um, anyway, so that's kind of my thing with these lists, as I probably said 100,000 times. But as I said, I'm going to take a little bit of a break here from the video and podcasting side of it. I will probably see you all in February and I'll be posting on Twitter and the Facebook page as I play games and give you my thoughts when I'm there and just be chatty about all that fun stuff. And I hope everybody has a good new year in 2018. Uh, takes care of yourselves. Don't get too hysterical about anything that you see. Just try to take comfort in the games and the friends that you have. And that's about it. So take care. I love all you. Thanks.